Thank you so much for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or you're simply catching up on a message that you missed, we're so glad that you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you'll experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word Give in the menu on our website at KentwoodCommunityChurch.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. And it is such a joy, truly, uh, to be able to share with you all God's word. So thank you so much for praying for me. As we uh, read God's word, we're reading from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. So I'll read verse 1, and then you'll read along with Micah, beginning in verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scripture says, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says, he will order his angels to protect you and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Would you pray with me? Lord God, in this time, would your Holy Spirit touch our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? Would you open our eyes to see you clearly? Would you open our ears to hear your word? And would you open our minds to receive your truth? And Lord, I pray, would the words that I say truly be your word for your people? And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, thank you, Micah, so much for joining me. And it is such a joy to be able to share with you all. As you know, I'm the student ministries pastor this morning. Uh, I'm a student ministries pastor. You guys heard that this morning. That's me. So, and I've got an illustration up here. So I need you guys to not be passive. You know, I need you guys to really interact with me. Amen? Amen. And, you know, it might not be a hooping and hollering message. We'll see where the spirit leads. But I'm going to need you guys to bring the energy. All right? <laughs> so I truly, truly believe that the Lord has breakthrough today. And I am super excited. And this message, prepping for this message, truly brought me deeper in my spiritual life. And it's convicted me already, showing me areas where I need to change. And I hope that it does the same for you. And so we're continuing on and living victoriously, talking about what it means to have victory in private worship. More than anything, I truly hope that you're encouraged today that God is a God who loves you, that would desire nothing more than for you to experience his love and to live in that reality 24-7, each and every day. Something that he, there's so, I believe today that the Lord has something for all of us, that's something that he wants us to do differently in our private life after this service for, for us to enter into greater intimacy with him. 
In this topic of private worship, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a couple of Jesus' teaching on private worship, specifically what he says about it, and then we're going to look at Jesus' practices on private worship. So if you would, turn in your Bible with me. If you have it uh, on you or if you would like to turn to it on your phone, that's totally fine. We'll be reading beginning in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, and that's where we'll start looking at Jesus' teaching on private worship, specifically what does he say. And I thought this was the perfect place to start. What does Jesus say about, about private worship, what we must do? And so Matthew 6, it's uh, traditionally referred to as part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' extensive teachings on the life of a disciple and the kingdom of heaven and what does this look like. And so beginning in verse 5 is is where I'll begin reading. Let's hear what Jesus says about prayer. It says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So in this passage, we can see from the context that there is a group of people that are simply praying out in the street corners because they want to be heard. And they're, say, they're very loud, and they're saying a bunch of things, and it says, and, and what does Jesus call them? He says they're hypocrites. He says that they're, they're just doing this, that people see them and that they hear them. And essentially, the key point from this is that these people are trying to pretend that there's intimacy in their private life that isn't really there. Amen. They're hypocrites. That's what Jesus calls them. And in this passage, sometimes we can get a little confused. Jesus is not saying that we should never pray in public worship settings. We just did that. But in this context, Jesus is saying that, you know, with these people praying out loud to make a show, Jesus is saying that the life of a disciple must include private prayer, and it must include private time alone, and what we're talking about today specifically, private worship. And so it says that in verse 6. I'll just read it again. Jesus says, but when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Three times in three verses, Jesus says, when you pray. And oftentimes in the Bible, when something is repeated, that means it's really important. And the gospel makes it very clear in this repetition that Jesus is assuming that the life of a disciple includes prayer. That it doesn't say if you pray or if you could pray or if you want to pray, but it says when you pray. Amen? That prayer, when you pray, Jesus is making it clear that this is necessary. It's not, it, ha- it can't not be a part of our private life. This idea of prayer and communicating with God on a frequent basis is not optional. It's something we must do. Jesus is speaking for specifically to how we orient our private lives in relation to prayer and seeking the Lord. The reality is that we all have a private life. I've used this word. I want to describe a little bit what what that means. We all have a private life. Maybe it's not a phrase we use uh, very frequently, but essentially your private life is your day-to-day activities, the things that you do maybe outside, but a lot of us are at work or we're in school and your private life, maybe the things you do in between those things, maybe the things you do outside of those things, that's what we would call your private life. We all have things we do in the morning, even if it's just you know, wake up to the alarm and get in the car. But we've all got things we do in the morning, and we all have things we do in the evening. 
That's a part of our private life. And we all have a relationship with God outside of what is seen in the public. And from this passage where Jesus says, when you pray, we learn that private prayer, private disciplines, and what we often call in the church private worship is not optional for the private life of a disciple of Jesus. Oftentimes when we think of worship, maybe uh, the first thing that comes to our minds is singing. But worship in Scripture is truly so much more than that. We see this all throughout Scripture. Worship is giving God glory. It's honoring Him. It's the response of the whole being, heart, mind, soul, and body to give God honor and to give God praise. Here at KCC, we call it worship arts. Worship is so much more than singing. Worship is prayer. You can pray and worship. You can sing. You can listen to God, spend time with Him. All those things would be a part of worship. And so most Christian scholars agree that there's four main categories of worship. Private worship would be one of them, and there's liturgical and non-liturgical and informal, and all of those are forms of public worship. Today we're focusing on private worship. We'll talk about public worship next week. But as we turn our attention to victorious living, we can see from the teaching of Jesus and from his life that engaging in a life of private worship is necessary to live victoriously. We simply can't do church on Sunday and then do nothing in private Monday through Saturday. It's just not going to work. And one of the ways that I like to think about victory in private worship is through the illustration of fire. I have a piece of firewood up here with me today. And so if you missed the first two weeks of our sermon series, I'd just love to summarize it really quickly so that you can understand how it relates to living victoriously. So in week one, Pastor Michael kicked off this series on living victoriously with a message on surrender. And how salvation is just the beginning. Salvation is not the end of our walk with the Lord. Salvation is just the beginning. In the stages of faith, we have an encounter with Jesus and the gospel that changes the course of our life. And that's just step one. From there, complete surrender is required to live a life victoriously. To say, everything we have, Lord, it's yours. Everything we have, we give to God. Romans 12.1 says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's how we properly worship God. The key point, I, didn't, I forgot that the candle was going to be lit today, but it's a perfect illustration. The key point in the illustration of, of, of fire is that salvation is just the spark. Salvation is just the, the spark. That little, that first piece of wood that catches the flame, salvation is just the spark that lights the fire ablaze for Jesus in our spiritual life. Well, if you've ever made a fire, you know how important it is, how hard it might be to get that, that first little flame. And salvation is that first little spark that makes us alive in Christ. And when we surrender, we truly begin to light the flame. Last week, Mick continued on to say that once we surrender our lives to God, each and every aspect, it's not scary, it's not crazy, it's not complicated. The next step is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All we have to do each and every day is to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us to show us his love, to fill us with his love. And Romans 5, Romans 8, 5 through 6 actually tells us that we can change, that we can begin to live a life controlled by the Spirit. As Christians, we must rely on the Holy Spirit that lives within us each and every day. The key point in the illustration of fire is that salvation is the spark, surrender begins to light the flame, and when, we be, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that flame truly begins to turn into a bonfire, a, a real fire. And when we do that, our life truly begins to be a victorious one, even though life may throw us curveballs sometimes and try to get us down or things may come at us. When we are surrender and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can begin to live victorious like the heroes of the Bible, like the heroes of the New Testament, the heroes of our faith. Amen? Yes. 
So today, in relation to private worship and what we see from the life of Jesus is what is the fuel. The message of my today is to give us a message on what is the fuel. How do we keep that fire alive? If salvation is just the spark and we begin to surrender and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need the fuel. I know I've been at a bonfire before where you're not putting wood on the fire and then all of a sudden there's coals and that's all that's left. And then you maybe try to go put wood on the fire later and you can't, you can't get anything. And then, you know, you're really trying to revive it and you got to go and you got to blow real hard, you know, try to get the fire going again. Some of us live our spiritual lives like that, church. It's so important that we understand that private worship, engaging with the Lord in private worship in our private life is the fuel. Amen? Thank you. So we looked at Jesus' teaching. It's time to turn our attention to his practices. I know that for a long time, I lived my spiritual life like that. And I grew up and I was very transformed by camp ministry And it was a huge part of my life, and God did so much through it. And oftentimes, I would come back from camp, and I went to Camp Sandy Cove. It was amazing. And I would be on fire for the Holy Spirit for three months, four months, five months. And, you know, by the next summer, if I wasn't, if I didn't have that same fire, without fail, the reason was always because something came out of rhythm with my private worship. And the reality was that, you know, at some point, I'd stop putting fuel on the fire. And I wish that I had learned this sooner. I remember growing up, there were seasons where perhaps I I was so desperate for private worship. We're really blessed out here in Michigan where I grew up in Connecticut. We didn't have Christian radio all the time. And out here, you just scroll through the radio and it's just all that's there. There's nothing else. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know what you find. But out in Connecticut, we didn't have Christian radio, and I didn't have a phone yet. Like, I didn't have a nice iPhone like how I have today. I just had, like, a little track phone. You know, you press the button five times just to type a letter. And so I, you know, had one of those phones, and all it had was FM radio. And I was so desperate at times to keep the fire going, to worship God in private. Right now, it's so easy. We can just turn on Maverick City music. Praise out to God. It's amazing. But back then, like, I was so desperate. There were periods where I would, like, discover that if I put my phone with FM radio like on the windowsill, upside down, in the corner, you know, like just the right exact perfect way that I could catch the New York City stations. Because they had one station in New York City that I could get some private worship on and just worship God in my bedroom. And so there I would be listening to some positive, encouraging K-Love, you know? (laughs) And just this desperation for private worship. I remember that was an experience from my life. And so if we truly want to live victoriously, we have to submit our private lives and worship in them under the authority of Jesus. Every day, I have to submit my private life under the authority of Jesus to live victoriously. And to be honest, I know that this is not always easy for me. And this is a struggle for me a lot of the time. And I'm learning more each and every day as a young pastor how to worship God truly in our private worship each and every day. There's no better example in all of scripture than Jesus. There's a lot of really good examples. We could look at Daniel chapter six. We could look at 1 Kings 19 where Elijah hears the word of the Lord in a whisper. You can look at King David and the way that he meditates on scripture, but I really believe that Jesus' practice has something special to say to our community. 
So if you would, turn in your Bible to the Bible passage that we read this morning. Luke chapter 4. And I'm really thankful that someone pointed this out to me that a couple weeks ago, a lot of the times when we look at the scripture, we only see one thing. But in reality, there's a lot that we can learn about Jesus' private worship in this chapter. It's actually one of the best and longest examples of kind of Jesus in private worship that we see. It says that he's there for 40 days. And so we see here in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus spends time alone with God in silence and solitude in the wilderness. Jesus goes out there to fast. So that's the second thing, spending time in silence and solitude. He goes out to fast. And then we see from the way that he quotes scripture that Jesus meditates and that this is a key part of his spiritual practice. And so oftentimes, you know, it's, we sometimes just look at the interaction with the devil, but we, when we look at this passage, there's so much we can learn about Jesus' private worship and what his practices were. And I believe, honestly, that with, because of these inward practices, I think that scripture makes this clear, that because he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness through these inward practices, he's able to have victory. Amen? That, he, that through these inward practices, Jesus, we see that Jesus has victory over the temptations of the devil when they came. So in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the text will also be on the screen. Let's see what it says. It says this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. First point for you this morning I want to be really clear with this one, is victory in private worship is led by the Holy Spirit. Someone turn to your neighbor, so, or just say it out loud, don't turn to your neighbor. Someone say, lead me, Lord. <laughs> what does it mean to have victory in private worship that's, that's led by the Spirit? In this passage, it says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and that this filling of the Holy Spirit led him. And it says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and, you know, when I think about this, I think what we need to learn is that we can't truly have victory in private worship without encountering intimacy with the Father. To engage in private worship, we are engaging in an encounter with the Father. In fact, Jesus even says in other points in Scripture, he can only do what the Father is doing. That this encounter with the Father is the purpose of his private worship. In fact, we engage in private worship because God loves us so much and he wants us to encounter his presence. I know for me, I, I didn't feel like I always really understood this growing up, that the purpose of our private worship was to encounter the presence of God. I felt like a lot of times people would say, what, how do you grow in your faith? You go to church, you read the Bible and you pray, right? Those are the three things. And I didn't know that part of the purpose of those things were, was to encounter the presence of God. And for me, when someone really helped me learn about silence and solitude and encountering the presence of Jesus and actually hearing God's voice, I was uh, 20 years old and I was leading missions trips in Portland, Oregon. And we, I remember this, that, that at this point in the summer, I was just kind of tired and I, there was like some conflict in our team. And so I often felt like I was the peacemaker that was often like holding us together. And, you know, it's just kind of hard experience leading mission trips because you get one group that comes in and they have an amazing time and then, and then they leave. And then you have another group who comes in and then they leave. And, and, it's, and it's sometimes tiring. 
And so I remember that the, our director saw that we were getting kind of weary, and a lot of us, maybe we had a, a private life, but really hadn't spent a lot of time in silence and solitude like we see from Jesus in Luke 4, listening to God. And so what he did with one, us one day was he said, all right, we're all going to get in a car, we're going to go to this place, and it was like this kind of sanctuary in the middle of the city called the Grotto, and it was really cool, and he said two hours. Go walk around. There was a whole bunch of like prayer stations, things that you could look around at. And come back and meet us here in two hours. Don't take your phone, just take a watch. And I remember that I, I, I had done maybe similar things, but not things like this where the purpose was to go in solitude and silence to encounter the presence of God. And I remember specifically, I, I don't say this often, but I remember walking around and just spending time with God in this experience and I remember that I really did feel like after an hour and a half of just listening and quieting every inner voice, quieting every outer voice, and just encountering God in silence and solitude, I really felt like the Lord said something to me. And as I was struggling with feeling like I was constantly holding the team together and really pouring out so much and not feeling truly filled up, I, I, I had a moment where God told me, Christian, I want you to keep blessing others and I'll bless you. Thank you. And this was like God's word for me. Like just to, like after a while, I, was, I like needed this. And like God told me to keep blessing others and, and I'll bless you. And, and for the rest of that summer, for the next four weeks, for the next five weeks, like whenever I got tired, like this was something like God's word that I encountered in silence and solitude through this practice was something that I held on to. And like whenever I got tired, like I would just remember like Christian, God has promised you, he spoke to you and, and for you to, and he wants you to keep doing this. And I think about our student ministries, and here at KCC, we try to create experiences for students to encounter the presence of God. And I know that this even, like, I was so transformed, and even though this wasn't a part of my experience, like, we truly want students to encounter the presence of God in, in moments. And sometimes even at youth group, we'll create space for students to spend time with the Lord. When we go on retreats, we even, at this last retreat we went on, we had an hour. We just gave students the opportunity to just spend time with Jesus. And during our student leadership day that we do every year, we give students around an hour to just spend time with God. I know in our young adult community, this is a huge thing that like oftentimes they'll just spend time with God for an hour sometimes uh, and just talk about it. How, what, what, did that, what was that like? And this is truly something that we believe that it's so important to grow in our faith, but it's so important that someone leads us down the road, down the road of being led into the Spirit's presence. Victory in private worship is led by the Spirit. It's for the purpose of encountering the presence of God. I really believe that God told me to say this today. And I hope that this is freedom for someone this morning. Private worship should be led to encounter the presence of God. And I didn't always know this growing up. Like, like I felt like oftentimes like the one-year Bible was like huge. Like read four chapters a day, try to finish the Bible. And for me, I got to read so much slower than that. I got to take it all in. And like the purpose of private worship, reading the Bible is great. The purpose of private worship is to encounter God. If you're a new creation in Christ, your soul actually desires to encounter God in the wilderness, which implies that Jesus was alone in silence and solitude. Your heart wants to encounter God if we would let it. When we spend time with God, when we devote hours listening to him, praying, fasting, we're not forcing God to do anything. We're simply responding to God's invitation to be with him. James 4.8 says that as we draw near to God, that he draws near to us. 
the invitation to worship God in private is always calling. The question is whether or not we're responding to his love. We have to be led by the Spirit. For many people, I know that sometimes it can be easy in the church to feel guilt about not spending time with God. And the church has oftentimes been critiqued of being legalistic, saying you have to do this and X, Y, and Z, and that spending time with God is a, is a box, is, is something, you know, it's a box to be checked. But I just want to let you guys know that victory in private worship is not a box to be checked. It's not a to-do list item. It's not legalism. It's not a skill to be conquered. It is not any of those things. Victory in private worship is a discipline of responding to God's invitation to be with him. Thank you. For Jesus, Luke 4 makes it very clear that he was responding to the Holy Spirit's leading, this inner desire that we all have to have intimacy with the Father. Without, I would go far as to say this, without the leading of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you cannot have victory in private worship. Luke 4.1 says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that after this encounter, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We must form our habits for the purpose of encountering God's love because of his gracious invitation to us. So I'd love to share with you all just a couple examples of how God has helped me to focus in my private worship on truly encountering his presence. And just a couple examples of how I orient my quiet time truly around encountering God. And so for me, Oftentimes when I start private worship, I'll oftentimes just start with several deep breaths just to recognize that God's presence is with me. Two or three. Just to recognize God's presence. God's presence is with you. I oftentimes use music. I don't have to do FM radio anymore. And uh, God has given us music. Why not use it? I know for me that instrumental music is more helpful. Sometimes lyrics kind of get in the way. But when I sometimes, you know, just search on something, search up soaking music, do that, YouTube, Spotify, whatever it is. And God, there's just hours and hours of playlists that you can listen to to just spend time with God with some beautiful melodies playing behind you. I know that in the Christian tradition, one thing that I've sometimes used is another thing that has to do with your breath called breathing prayer. If you want to learn more about this, talk to Pastor Ronson. He knows a lot. And breathing prayer, what you do is that you just breathe in and recognize, you say a prayer with the inward breath and you say a prayer with the outward breath. And so for me, the common one that I often use is when I breathe in, I say, come Lord Jesus. And then I breathe out, would you be with me? Come Lord Jesus, be with me. And this sort of breathing prayer helps us center our hearts on God's presence that is with us. For me, I often use an app on, our, on my phone. It's called Flipped, F-L-I-P-D. This is not sponsored, by the way. But just, uh, I use this app on my phone. It's super helpful. You can look it up if you'd like. And basically what it does is this is awesome. It gives you the opportunity to still call and text, but it eliminates distractions. So you just set the time, five hours, six hours, whatever. Maybe you need to study. I use it for that too. But like you just set the time. All your apps besides texting and calling are gone. Anything that you need to get reached, you still have it, but when six hours is up, you get the apps back. It takes away the internet, whatever it is that could be a distraction for you. It's really helpful for me. 
Sometimes when I'm journaling, I just rewrite the phrase, come Lord Jesus, over and over again, just to remind myself of the presence that God is with me. And when I'm desperate enough, some, sometimes church, we really have to be desperate to encounter Jesus. I actually go for a run. And running, for me personally, it helps me clear my mind and without fail always helps me to have greater focus in my private hours of worship with the Lord. The scripture says in Luke 4, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So four practices of private worship that I see in Luke chapter four are solitude, that Jesus is alone. He's spending time with God in silence. Jesus is fasting. And we can see from his interactions with the devil that meditation and memorizing God's word is meditating on it day and night is something that's important to him. And so as we apply this to our lives and how do we have victory in private worship, I have four questions, they'll be on the screen. But I'd love for you to just take a moment, if it's helpful for you to close your eyes and reflect, you're welcome to, but just take a moment and just reflect on these four questions as we apply this to our lives. There's no shame in any of these answers. Our goal is that this is led by the Spirit. First question, how long has it been since you spent time with God in silence? Question number two, how long has it been since you left others and went away specifically for the, pres for the purpose of encountering and being with God? Third question, how long has it been since you fasted? I know that this is oftentimes in the period of Lent, a period where people often practice the discipline of fasting. How long has it been since you fasted? Maybe that's something you could do with your family or your, or your community group. Just the practicing the discipline of fasting and talking about how God speaks to us through it. Question number four, how long has it been since you meditated on God's word? Just spend some time enjoying it. Here at KCC, we have an amazing group. It's called the Accountability Group that meets every other Sunday. If that's something that you want to engage in, they, that group is committed, committed to memorizing God's word together and holding each other accountable to memorizing God's word and just meditating on it. And so this morning, church, wherever, whatever your answer is to those questions, I would just love to encourage you to put something on the calendar today. I wouldn't even mind if you did it right now. But if you need to pull out your calendar, your notes, whatever it is, and just to put something on the calendar, I know that things oftentimes don't happen if we don't schedule it. And so if, if it's for some of us, it's probably, you know, some of you may be like, check, 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 check. I do all four of those things. I've done them 50 years, and it's been a part of my life with Jesus. And that's totally great. I also want to tell you that God is still calling you deeper. That just if we're engaged in, in some disciplines, that doesn't mean that we're off the hook. This is just the beginning. And so I'd encourage you to put something on the calendar. Here at KCC, one way that we do this is we have what's called days alone with God. And we get one every two months, every three months, besides our, our weekly Sabbath, but just an extra day where, our, where our, our staff is paid to spend time alone with God. And it's awesome. It's a great reminder to put that on the calendar. 
If you want to learn more about silence and solitude, and I know this was helpful for me to learn how do I actually practice these things, I have a couple quotes that, that are really helpful. Pete Scazzaro says this about how do we engage in silence and solitude. He says, solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things to attend to God. And silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to attend to God. Here's a quote that just stresses the importance of this. It really affected me in undergraduate college. Henry Nouwen says, without silence and solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. If we aren't spending time putting fuel on the spiritual fire, if we aren't spending time with God in silence every single week, we're cheating ourselves, and we aren't truly surrendering, and it's, you know, it's almost impossible to stay filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's almost impossible to live victoriously. What I've done is, if you truly want to have victory in private worship, I've compiled a list of recommended reading that have really helped me grow in this area. And so you'll see a bunch of those books here on the screen and also a list of them. I'm not going to read all of them. But I truly want to set all of us up for success in how we engage in private worship. Feel free to take a picture, come back, take a screenshot. But there's also, in the atrium, I put a table of books that you can look at. Almost all of these books are on that table and a couple extras. Don't take them because they are my books. So I would like to walk out of here with my books, but there's a table on the atrium. If you want to, you can go just take a picture or look at some of those books that are on that table, but they've been really helpful for me in learning how do I engage in private worship. And so, you know, you can go to Amazon, the library, wherever it is that you like to get your books and engage with some of those. Second point as I begin to close here is... And we just, and we talked about this when it comes to the fuel, but we see this, we talked about Jesus' teaching, what does Jesus say about private worship, we talked about what was Jesus' practice in Luke 4. The second point we see from the life of Jesus is that having victory in private worship sustains our faith, truly is the fuel to keep the fire ablaze for God. And without it, it'll be like that bonfire that you're trying to resurrect. Without private worship, the fire will not stay lit. Someone say, Lord, I need you every day. Let's look at a couple things from the life of Jesus. We can see how Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. There'll be a couple scriptures that come on the screen. It says in Luke chapter 5, this is what it says about Jesus, that Jesus just heals a man. It says this right after it says that he healed a man from leprosy in verse, chapter 5, verse 15. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We see this all throughout the Gospels. Just one chapter later in 6.12, it says that one, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. It says, and spent the night praying to God. In the book of Matthew, says the exact same thing about Jesus, but it, it makes it just a different circumstance, a different instance. After Jesus feeds 5,000 men and a whole bunch more, way more than 5,000 people, because that's just the men and there's women and children there as well. After this experience where Jesus feeds 5,000, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was all alone. 
I like the way that it says it in the book of Mark. Very early, Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. For Jesus, the key point is this, that for Jesus, he needed, and it was so necessary for him to go off to lonely places to pray with God. And we see that this was a huge part of his practice and that this consistency was a huge part of Jesus' private worship, that he would go off to lonely places to pray. We see this all throughout the Gospels. And so my question for us this morning is that if we truly want to live victoriously, if we want to have victory and live victoriously for Jesus, if we want to have impact on our world for Christ, if we want to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit, to, to just abide in the presence of the Lord, if we truly want to live victoriously, who are we to sometimes think that we don't need this practice if Jesus did? Come on. Who are we? To, if, we if we really want to live victoriously, why would we ever surrender the practice of daily private worship? If we want to live victoriously, who are we to think that we don't need this practice if Jesus needed this practice. Fully God and fully man, like think about that, that God needed to have intimacy with the Father and to encounter the presence of God and to spend time morning and night is what the scripture says, that he needed to go off to lonely places to pray. And if we don't prioritize private worship, we're the ones who are missing out. Amen. We cannot not prioritize it. I want to read a, a quote. It's a little bit long, but it talks about this. Matthew, Mark 1.35, it says, and I'll invite the, the band to come play if you'd like. In the, in Henry Nouwen, in his book on this, says that in the midst of a busy schedule of activities, talking about Jesus healing suffering people, casting out demons, responding to impatient disciples, traveling from town to town, preaching from synagogue to synagogue, we find these quiet words. In the morning, long before dawn, he got up and left the house and went off to a lonely place and prayed there. The more I read this nearly silent sentence locked between the loud words of action, the more I have the sense that the secret of Jesus' ministry is hidden in that lonely place where he went to pray. Early in the morning, long before dawn, in the lonely places, Jesus finds the courage to follow God's will and not his own. In the lonely place where Jesus enters into intimacy with the Father, that his ministry is born. As I started church, the reality is that God is always with us. He is with you right now. He's with you in the moment that you leave. He was with you when you came in. The reality is that God is always with us. And when we spend time in private worship, when we orient our private lives around encountering God, we are just responding to God's invitation to be with him. And so the simple question is, are we spending time in private worship with the Lord every day? Maybe the Lord is calling you wherever you are to surrender more of your time to worship him in private. I know that I wish I learned how important this was sooner. And maybe, maybe, you know, God's calling you to set your alarm 30 minutes earlier 
wake up a little bit earlier to spend time with God, or better yet, maybe he's telling you to go to bed 30 minutes sooner, perhaps. <laughs> I know that's something I've had to learn. But God is always calling to us. It's his invitation that we're responding to. And we see from the life of Jesus that private worship was what sustained him. And so my question is, is your intimacy, is your ministry, is your life, is your private life, or the things that you're doing, are they coming from yourself? Are they coming from ourselves? Or are they coming from intimacy with the Father in private? I'd love to end with the passage that I began with. Matthew 6, verse 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is a promise of Jesus. He is always calling to us to spend time with him. And church, I hope that you're encouraged this morning to worship him in private. This is truly how we live victoriously. I'd love to give us all just a moment. I think it's so important to hear God's word, but also to take a moment and to practice it. And so here as a church this morning, we're gonna spend just a moment in private worship before we sing a song together. And so what's gonna happen is for just about two minutes, I'm gonna kneel at the altar here. If that's something that'd be helpful for you, you're welcome to. And then after those two minutes, I'm gonna pray and then we'll sing our final song. But church, I'll just ask you, whatever posture is helpful for you, whether you wanna sit, stay where you're sitting, whether you wanna kneel, whether you wanna stand, whatever is helpful for you to worship God in private, I'd love to give us just a moment. The band's gonna keep playing. It'll play about two or three minutes and then we're gonna sing a song in response together and I'll pray before we do that. But right now, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you, that you would truly be with us, that you would help us to respond to your invitation to be with you, that you would help us to encounter you in our private worship. Church, would you respond?
would look up this way. The scripture says that where two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus says that there I am with you. And so if you would pray with me, dear Lord, we just right now know, we agree that you have met us in this space, that you have touched our hearts. Lord, we believe that you are truly here in our midst and that as we engage with you in private worship, that you meet all of us where we are. Lord, we truly want to encounter you. Lord, would you empower us to spend more and more time engaging with you? In fact, if, there's, if you would help us, to, would have us do less, Lord, we truly just want to encounter your presence. Would you help us to do that? Lord Jesus, I just pray that the words I said would truly be your word for your people. Lord, we are a hungry people that desire to encounter you. Thank you for being with us in this time. Help us to truly worship you with our heart, minds, and soul. In Jesus' name, amen.